Welcome back to another episode of the Educational AD Podcast. We couldn't do these without the incredible support of our sponsors, and we want to take a moment to say thank you to all of them. First, thanks to our diamond sponsor, Varsity Brands, including BSN, Varsity Spirit, and Herf Jones. Varsity Brands, elevating student experiences in sport, spirit, and achievement. We also want to thank our great platinum sponsors, including Ephesus Lighting, innovating a brighter future at every level. Gipper, sports graphics made incredibly simple. Camp Mobile, where leaders communicate better. Vital Signs, bring student achievements to life. And Hometown Ticketing, simple and easy online ticketing. Thanks to all of our great sponsors. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Educational AD Podcast. Our guest today is Emily Barkley. Emily is a certified master athletic administrator. She's the director of athletics at Union Public Schools in Tulsa, Oklahoma. She's also the president of the state association, the OIAAA, and I know she's very active uh, on the national level as well. Emily, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me today. Well, to our listeners, we're recording this on February 22nd, and uh, Emily and, and her schools are in the midst of a, uh, a blizzard, ice storm, uh, apocalyptic uh, school closing. So uh, we appreciate her spending some time with us, and uh, you know maybe she can comment a little bit uh, as we get into the uh, chat. But Emily, we always like to let our listeners have a chance to get to know our guests. So tell us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, where you went to school and college, and maybe how a love of sports led to this position in uh, athletic administration. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, uh, I'm i the athletic director at Union High School, like you mentioned, and that's uh, ironically enough where I went to, to high school, kindergarten through 12th grade. So oh, wow. I um, don't know a whole lot besides Union High School. I went to, I played basketball and soccer growing up, um, club soccer, um, school soccer and school basketball. Um, basketball was my passion. And I think I might've been a little bit better in soccer. So um, just combined the love of both of those sports and kind of took me throughout. I didn't venture very far. I went to the University of Tulsa here in Tulsa um, and they had a sports administra administration program that was just starting up. And I knew um, that was gonna be, it, it was a passion of mine in high school because of the relationships I had on my teams and the coaches that I had. And so I knew this was something I wanted to get back into. Um, and because they had that athletic administration program, um, it really drew me to going over there. Had an opportunity to play small college basketball. Um, but when I met with somebody at TU uh, in that department, she just said, there's going to be a great need for females. Um, this was in 1996. And around Oklahoma, it was kind of the height. I like to call it the height of Title IX. Um, there were a lot of... Um, uh, litigations. There were a lot of focus on high schools around here and what they were doing to provide equity amongst um, male and female sports. And so it was it was something that I, um, I kind of took those words to heart. And I knew that's what I had wanted to do whenever I was in high school. I joked with our athletic director at the time that I wanted to come take his job someday. And he said, you can have it. And now sitting in these shoes, I know exactly what he meant. <laughs> Must have been a rough day that I that I mentioned that. But um, 
No, I had a great opportunity to go to the University of Tulsa and um, went undergraduate in the first group to come through their athletic administration program and then stayed and got my master's there as a graduate assistant for the football program. Well, I know that uh, back in your high school days, you had some pretty good teams there uh, at Union. Uh, you know, what's a what's a special memory from your uh, competitive days? Well, again, you know, basketball is kind of my passion. Um, we were able to make it to the state semifinals twice, uh, ranked number two in the state and just kind of fell short in that semifinal game. But in soccer, surprisingly enough, um, we took a team my senior year that um, hadn't ever been there and made it to the state championship game. So while we fell short in, this, in the championship game, um, getting to experience that as an athlete was, was a lot of fun for both sports. Yeah, those are great memories. And, uh, you know, you and I were talking earlier in Florida, you know, soccer uh, is a winter sport, uh, certainly because of the weather, like basketball. And so uh, I just wonder how many great soccer basketball athletes were missing out on, uh, you know, because they can only play one or the other. Oh, yeah, we and we do have quite a few that come through here. I think they complement each other really well um, in terms of, I think, playing soccer brought my toughness onto the basketball court. It kind of taught me that. And then obviously, you know, taking a break from the sport, it gets you in a way different shape, but um, getting, getting a break during the year from one versus the other, I think really helped keep me rejuvenized whenever the next one came around. But I, yeah, I think we've got, um, we've, we have three players, um, all Americans that are, that, play for the University of Arkansas right now, play soccer there. They all three went together from our high school and all three of them at some point played basketball here. Um, one of them's little sister who has committed to Arkansas, same thing. She's a tremendous basketball and soccer standout. So I think they, they could go hand in hand. <laughs> oh, I, I, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, you're preaching to the choir about multi-sports uh, benefits there. Um, take us through that uh, period from um, after you graduated from uh, University of Tulsa to you know, those first jobs. And uh, I'm going to assume it was teaching and coaching and, and how that led into your current position as AD. Well, surprisingly enough, um, I never had a desire to be a teacher. I believe it or not, I'm terrified of speaking in front of uh, large groups of people. And I never thought that uh, being in front of a classroom sounded, you know, it just wasn't in my forte. So I actually had a desire um, to go into administration now the opportunities normally wouldn't be there. I mean, as I'm sure when you get asked uh, by young AD or young people who want to become athletic directors, how's the best path to get there? I mean, most of the time it's you go into coaching and, and you um, show your desire through that way. But I was able while I was at the University of Tulsa um, to volunteer back at my high school and help coach some teams. I helped coach a soccer and some basketball teams throughout that six years at TU. Um, and built those relationships. And fortunately for me, our athletic director at the time when I graduated um, with my master's was our, he was the football coach that had been here whenever I was a student. And uh, he had just seen my work, work ethic and being closely tied to TU and, and being around. So um, they actually had a position that was um, created. It was the spirit coordinator at the time uh, and had me in charge of cheer, palm and dance which is nothing that I had ever, world I had ever known. So at age 24, um, I, I came in in somewhat of an administrative role over those three groups. And he said, this is going to grow into something, you know, whatever you make of it. Um, and so I just kind of took that opportunity of leadership and um, 
not going to lie, those first, you know, challenging, there, there's some passionate parents in that group. And, and I think that actually helped me today because I grew some pretty thick skin in those first few years. But um, right out of college, I worked for um, a restaurant company that my, my dad had owned. Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar out there with Mazio's Pizzas, but he had owned one while I was in high school. And so I had a chance to work for the company, the corporate office that's headquarters here um, for about nine months. And they just said, I know this isn't your passion. So as soon as something opens up and you need to take that job. And luckily for me, it was nine months later and I landed here at Union and I've been here ever since. Wow. That's uh, so cool that you know, that opportunity was created for you. That's kind of an old school approach, but uh, uh, good for you. Uh, Emily, in our profession, we always talk about the importance of leadership and mentoring. And I'm going to bet you had uh, a couple of mentors along the way. Uh, the expression I like to use is I still hear the voices of my mentors in my head when I'm talking to a kid or a coach or maybe a parent. So uh, whose voice do you still hear? Yeah, absolutely. My high school basketball coach, Edie Allen, was a huge mentor for me. Um, she allowed me the opportunity to come back and kind of learn from her and grow from her. And she she's a coach's, she grew up a coach's kid. And so um, she, you know, just had a lot of those experiences. Um, and, you know, ha having a strong female um, role model for me was important. And at the University of Tulsa, Judy McLeod was the athletic director at the time. So actually had the opportunity um, maybe not on the day-to-day, -day, but to see what she did in her role um, was kind of a mentor and she probably wouldn't know it, but um, just getting to observe and work beside her um, as a graduate assistant. And she's now um, the commissioner of the Conference USA. So it's, it was a pretty cool deal to be able to um, kind of follow just what she did um, as a female in that role, um, as well as my old high school coach. Oh, absolutely. And I always enjoy hearing these stories. Uh, just a, a great reminder that, you know, whoever we are, we didn't get there uh, by ourselves. There were uh, people right. there that were pushing and helping us. Um, one of the things we like to do with this podcast, one of the things we try to do is to share some best practices. And, uh, you know, I, I've gotten to know you a little bit, you know, this last year, you know, through, you know, the virtual conference and things like that. And, uh, you know, I've read your bio, you're certainly an accomplished and, and decorated athletic administrator. So what are a couple of things um, at your schools that you can look at with equal parts pride and humility uh, and say, we do this better than anybody else. You know, we really do a great job. Uh, what are a couple of best practices you can share? Okay. Well, I think, um, you know, it, it may seem a, a little obvious, but I think we hire extremely good people here at Union. Um, a lot of them, or I would say several of them were here before I came. And so just getting to work with these great people. But I mean, as you well know, if you have a program led by a great person, um, a great communicator, um, somebody that is very organized in there, it makes your job a whole lot easier and it makes you look good as a leader. And, you know, I think we've been able to do that a lot here. Um, you know, by virtue, we're the second largest school in the state of Oklahoma. We're right here in the center of Tulsa, we're very visible. But I think once we get people here, we treat them well. Um, and we try to give them the resources it takes to be successful. And so we're able to retain good, uh, good head coaches, good assistant coaches, good junior high coaches that have been here for a really long time. And so um, 
I know that seems, you know, like it would be quite obvious, but it's not always easy to do. And so once you get those, those people and you treat them well and, and, you know, make it a family, which I think we try to do here. Um, I think that's where our success comes in. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent with the philosophy. I, I disagree maybe that it's sometimes obvious. Um, <laughs> I'm going to guess that many of your, your varsity head coaches, and you know, I'm going to guess you have a high percentage of coaches that also teach or work in the building. Uh, is that correct? That is, we do. Um, you know, ours, they teach throughout the day. Um, and, and we, uh, that's important to us too, because um, we want them to be good representatives of us in the building um, and for the, their peers um, as coaches. So they, they teach four out of the six hours. One of them's an athletic hour and then they have a plan. Um, and so because of that, sometimes, um, you know, their peers that are teaching five hours can maybe think, you know, that's not really fair. Why are they getting to leave? But if they come in and do a good job and do what they're, you know, what they're supposed to do, volunteer, sit at the front as teachers, you know, do all the things that we ask our student athletes to do. Um, then they help us create that relationship uh, within the school. Um, a lot of our principals are former coaches. A lot of our upper administration are former coaches um, because they've proven themselves to be good leaders and putting themselves in that position. So we try to continue that relationship with them um, by making sure our people are doing what they what they should be when they're teaching and when they're coaching um, and representing our school. No, you, you hit it on the head right there is that they've proven themselves, you know, of leaders of, you know, whether it's young people or leaders of teachers and, and now they're in a principal role. Uh, it, it's, it's so for you and I, it's so obvious that, you know, guys, if we have a good uh, teacher, you know, they're probably, you know, good at something else. And maybe it's advising the chess club, or maybe it's coaching the, the varsity softball team. But yeah, absolutely. Having uh, teacher coaches in the building. We're very fortunate at my school. You know, we're a smaller private school, but almost every single one of our head coaches uh, teaches or works on campus. Uh, we've got a couple of great, you know, walk-on coaches. Uh, our boys soccer coach has been there for, you know, gosh, 35 years. Uh, runs a huge soccer club in the area, but he's an educator and he gets it. He understands what educational athletics is all about. So uh uh, yeah, if principals, if you're listening, you know, you want your athletic teams to be successful, you know, hire good teacher coaches. Okay. Yes. Um, Emily, let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, your journey with the state association and the NIAAA. We have some, you know, young ADs that, that listen, I know, because they send me emails and ask me questions. But uh, sometimes I don't think it's obvious for them um, the steps that are involved to, you know, having a CMAA or, you know, getting a, a state or a national award. So talk a little bit about that. How'd you get involved with OIAAA? And then uh, talk a little bit about your certification path. Sure. Um, so I, when I was the assistant athletic director, I've been the athletic director for nine years, nine of my um, 17 that I've been here at Union. And right previous to becoming the athletic director, our athletic director at the time, um, started, you know, researching the the C the RAA, the CAA, CMAA, and um, and kind of got excited about it. And I've always been one that, um, you know, if if the bachelor's is the expectation, then you go get your master's. If the master's, you know, just do that one step further, um, try to be one step ahead. And so um, we kind of went on that journey 
to um, getting the certification. And, you know, by then it became, okay, let's go to conferences and see how many classes we can take and how, how we can advance our education and, and kind of being that lifelong learner of um, the best practices, the uh, what's new, what are other ADs doing? Because my gosh, um, we're not in it alone. I know that everybody has probably been through it. While I, I think every single situation becomes unique, um, but there's a lot of athletic directors who have done something similar or been in a similar situation. So just really got passionate about that. And um, we had a couple of athletic directors uh, in the state that really pushed the education piece on it. And um, so a bunch of us jumped on board and really glad that we did. Um, and that's how it became the CMAA. But when our athletic director at the time, um, he was trying to find a service position on the board and the um, state secretary treasurer position had opened up. And I told him, I, was, I said, I'll, I'll do that. I'll jump in, you know, and I think a lot of times nobody wants to be that secretary, the treasurer to handle the money. And um, I kind of enjoyed that. And so I volunteered for that position and really stayed with that probably for 10 to 12 years. Um, I have, um, I'm, I'm married to a small college basketball coach. I have a four-year-old daughter. Um, we lost one of our staff positions, one of our athletic director positions in our office. Um, and so my time constraints started getting a little bit tighter and, um, I just felt like I needed to, uh, give up one of my roles and to, so I could do a better service to my school here. And so I had looked to, um, finding somebody to replace me as the secretary and treasurer of our state organization after doing that for, you know, like I said, 10 to 12 years, um, and the opportunity to become the president kind of a president elect opened up and I thought, you know, um, I haven't done that. I, I can do this. It, it's a really a three-year commitment of president elect president and past president here in Oklahoma. Um, and if at that time, you know, when I finish that, if I feel like that service, um, that I, that I've done what I could to help our state, then at that point I could walk away. Now, now being halfway into the presidency and learning so much. I mean, we've, I've just learned um, so much about the national organization. Um, I'm serving on the DEI committee, the diversity, equity, and inclusion ad hoc committee. Um, and now I kind of, I think I sparked another passion inside myself to once this three-year journey is over, I, I have a feeling that I'll be trying to tackle some of those national uh, committees and staying involved on the national level because um, the people you meet, the things you learn, and just kind of giving back. Now, I'm. it's weird to say, I feel like maybe I'm on the second half of my journey as an athletic director. You know, once you hit that, when you look at retirement, you're at the top of the mountain. Now we're starting to go down. It's now I feel like I have this obligation to give back to all the, um, the young, the people who were me 17 years ago and try to get them passionate about it. And so um, that's kind of how my journey to becoming the president and in, in involvement on the national and the Oklahoma level. No, and I'm really glad you shared those different steps of, you know, first taking the LTI courses, you know, exploring the different levels of certification. Uh, and now, as you mentioned, um, you know, you're on the, the new ad hoc committee, which as you and I know, it's gonna be a full committee here soon. Um, that's, it, it's just great. And uh, for any of our ADs that are listening, you know, uh, take that step, you know, get involved, volunteer, uh, try to get involved at the state level and those national opportunities are gonna open up for you. So good stuff. 
Um, let's go and dive into uh, our COVID section of the podcast. Um, we're coming up on uh, one year of having to deal with COVID. Uh, as I said, we're recording this in February. Um, and we've seen a variety of responses across the country and, and also within individual states. Um, so for our listeners, um, tell us what's happening right now in Oklahoma and in Tulsa uh, as far as return to play and also return to uh, school academics. What's going on? Sure. Um, you know, like most of the world, we shut down almost a year ago, as a little bit after, um, and our, our girls' basketball team was on a bus headed to the state tournament, and our boys were not far behind them, um, and they kind of had to turn around and come back, and at, at that time, I don't think it hit what the, um, the enormity of the whole situation would be, because I think we all thought, well, it would be postponed a week or, or two weeks, and, and as those two weeks became two months, and, and um and so forth. I think that um, when we got the green light in Oklahoma in June to start summer activities back, we did so, we were excited, but we did so with a lot of caution um, because at, the, at that time, we didn't know how it could spread, how, it, how athletically, you know, when you put yourself in those situations, weightlifting, strength and conditioning, all of those, um, what that would do, but we pressed on, uh, along with the rest of Oklahoma because we were allowed to. And, um, surprisingly enough in August started all of our fall sports. Um, we did so, you know, with precautions, 25% capacity masks were required, uh, in, in Tulsa County, which we would have required that at our school anyway. So we still have that for spectators. Um, and we, we set up our venues to, um, try to make, I feel like our goal um, as administrators is to try to make our participants, our officials and our workers as safe as possible. Um, we can't control necessarily the person who's sitting up in the corner of the stands or that won't comply. Um, and so we've really strongly encouraged, you know, the mask and the social distancing, but my priority during the game, my, my focus is going to be how to keep those participants, officials um, and workers as safe as possible. And then if a parent wants to go up there and, you know, sit amongst each other, um, I'm not going to go up there and, and change that. And it's worked okay for us. Uh, we're fortunate. Like I said, we're the second largest school in Oklahoma. We have some venues, our basketball arena at 25% can still fit 1400 people in here. Um, our, our football stadium, ironically enough, was going through a renovation. So we only had we were only at 50% capacity to begin with. So we ran 25% of 50% capacity. So not very many at our, our uh, football stadium, but um, you know, we, we made it through successfully through the fall season. We are about a week, two weeks out from making it successfully through the winter season with a few interruptions um, here and there. And then our, our spring seasons are set to begin. And, you know, I think, there's a little bit of a sigh of relief heading into spring because most of it's outdoors for us here in Oklahoma. The weather starts getting a little bit better and we feel like we can control um, the spacing, the airflow a little bit better. So I, like we talked about earlier, it's almost business as usual here, um, it, as, as usual as it can be when you're wearing masks and you're you know having seating charts on the bus for your student athletes when they're going places just in case you have to contract, you know, contact trace them. But um, our academically, we've been off and on. Um, we, they, there was the choice for students to either be in person or 
for um, distant learning and those who chose in person have virtually been able to stay in school. Um, I think we missed maybe 18 days total so far in person. Now, the snow and the ice is a completely different story because we would have been in person. We weren't in the shutdown mode, but we have been shut down for a few days for that. Um, but, you know, it's it's exciting because as cautious as I want to be, um, I want to make sure everybody stays healthy. I want to make sure the grandparents that are home, that these student athletes are going home to are continuing to stay healthy. Um, but it's exciting to see kids compete. And I'm sure you you know how that is and the mental side of it for them when they get to get out there and try to be as normal as possible. Um, that, that part's been rewarding to see. Um, I don't want anybody to get, to get ill, um, to put themselves in, in a bad situation, but um, knowing that we have been able to and seeing the kind of the looks on their faces, um, that's been you know, rewarding from our end. No, absolutely. Getting the kids out there and seeing the teams compete, uh, you know, that's what it's all about. You touched on it uh, just a little bit, so I'm curious. Um, overall, you know, looking back on it, you said you're just about wrapped up with uh, winter. Um, how has the fan um, support of protocols uh, been? Um, you know, have they, you know, 90% or, you know, 99%, you know, uh, how many of those little fires have you had to put out? You know, we had um, a lot of support from parents. I think they realize that each uh, event that they get to go to, uh, there has been some area schools that haven't allowed fans to come in there. So I think it's been a little bit of a wake up call for people to realize, um, okay, if I can go to this, then I'm going to act right once I get there. <laughs> and so we have, we really haven't had any issues. Um, like you said, fire, we, we hosted the state chair competition a couple of weeks ago. Um, we, and we ran um, probably 5,000 people throughout our building, clearing it out every hour of 700 people in 700 people out. And, you know, throughout that whole day, there were maybe two people that just absolutely refused to follow the protocols that we had in place. Um, and I just think that people are so relieved to get to be here. They may not like it. They may not agree with it. Um, but when the option is to either see your kid compete or not, they're choosing to do the right thing to come in and get to see their kid compete. Yeah, I think you're right. I think most people are they're so thankful that something's going on and they'll do just about anything to uh, to make sure it continues. And, and that was kind of our secondary subtle message uh, and sometimes not so subtle, uh, you know, hey, don't screw it up for somebody else, okay? You know, don't screw it up for your kid too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Emily, another question that we've been asking our athletic directors since we started these revolves around the topic of, social awareness, uh, social justice, if you will. And um, my question has been this, you know, what are some things that we can do as athletic administrators? What are some things that we can do better um, for our kids, for our families, for our communities um, in this uh, area of social awareness? I think that um, the number one thing we need to do is be good listeners. Um, we have avenues for our athletic teams. We have um, a group of leadership kids, 25 student athletes that are um, not captains of their teams, but they're, they've, they've chosen to apply for a council and be selected and be leaders. Um, what I would deem leaders because they stepped out there and, and did that. So we have our athletic leadership council that we can have those conversations with, but I think it's, it's less talking and more listening to um, what, uh, what, 
individuals are going through, what they're feeling, um, ways that we, like you said, ways that we can make it um, better or um, changes that need to be made. Um, and so I think that that's the number one thing that um, as athletic or as any leader that we need to be doing right now is probably less talking and a lot more listening. Um, and since we have such a, a great group of young people, um, which is the future of this, um, the influencers of this, just listening to them, um, listening to their concerns, their questions, their ideas. Um, I think that's just going to uh, help propel us into, you know, what, what the future looks like. And, and man, they're resilient and they're smart and they've got great ideas. Um, and so that's what we've tried to do here. Uh, it's great to hear that you involving the students uh, because again, we're talking about student athletics. Um, do you have any specific, um, you know, programs or events or, or things that uh, your student leadership team uh, does that you could share? Um, I mean, we haven't, we, this year has been so weird <laughs> with us in person and out of person. Um, we, with that council that we use, and again, those are the leaders. That's the that's the way I access the student athletes the most is through their leadership teams. And so a lot of times we have 120 coaches on staff. Um, and so I work with those directly and then hope that they pass the messages on or the ideas on. But again, my direct uh, contact with our student athletes are through those, that group of um, young people. And so we meet once a month. Um, we have different topics each time that we meet. We have different speakers that come in each time. But again, it's to get them talking. Um, and, uh, we did a little bit of, a oh, mental awareness last month. Um, we actually had to do it, uh, via zoom, which has become sometimes the norm. If we're not in school, that's our choice is the zoom. So we, we were able to just kind of, um, give them a mental break. Have, we have a social emotional, uh, department here at union that kind of walked them through some, um, I guess, um, the mental aspect of the sports world, the um, what, what we're going through in the world, just to kind of get them to take a step back and be mindful of what's going on. Um, and just some breathing exercises, um, clearing your head exercises and stuff like that. And so um, that, again, this year has been weird. A lot of the things we normally would do um, that we want to do, bring people together. We haven't been able to do quite as much, but we've been able to take that opportunity once a month to kind of work through our leaders. Oh, yeah, that's, you're so true that, you know, this year is, you know, uh, you know, uh, learn as you go. And, and it's great you have those programs. But I also want to go back to a word that you used, you know, kids are resilient. Okay, you know, they, they have a way of coming out on top. Let's uh, lighten things up a little bit. Uh, I also ask our athletic directors, uh, you know, what's your favorite part of the job? You know, what gets you excited about coming to school every day at Union? Yeah, so I, um, I just love watching kids compete. I love watching kids win, but I also like to see how they respond when, when they lose. And I know that sounds strange, but the, um, just seeing how kids deal with adversity either way, um, and, and again, they, when they're faced with, you know, those different challenges, how they respond, those teams, you know, that, that maybe should have finished 12th, but they finished seventh and, and, you know, not just the ones who end up hoisting the trophy at the end, but um, just to see where they, what goals they've set for themselves and seeing them accomplish or exceed those goals. And so 
you know, I get excited about that. I've been doing this 17 years. And as you know, there's, um, it's not a 40 hour a week job. It's you take the phone calls at night. You're, you know, we've got for the next three weeks, every weekend is booked up with stuff. But I think when you um, get to watch, you know, adults in those, in those coaching roles and, and doing what they love being married to a coach, obviously um, I have a different perspective of that, knowing what goes into um, what they did to get that team there. So I just have a greater appreciation for it, but um, you know, getting to see those kids compete and, and hoping that their experience at union um, is what my experience was. And, and that's what drives me every day here is I always tell them, I, I just hope that they felt the way about our high school um, when they leave the way I did. And a lot of them come back and want to be coaches here. Um, a lot of them come back and want to see their old coaches. And I always tell our coaches, that's the mark of um, that you ran a great program when they want to come back and see you, or, you know, if education was their um, passion and they want to be a teacher or coach that they want to come back here and do that. Oh, I agree hundred percent. You know, when those alums come back, you know, just to visit, that's a huge victory when they come back and want to coach and, and become a part of the program again, you know, that's when, you know, you, you're doing something right. Okay. Right. Well, Emily, this has been great, uh, you know, spending some time with you but we're not done yet. Uh, we always like to wrap up with what we call the athletic director's toolbox. We've already established that you are a master athletic administrator. And right now I'm going to challenge you to send out that brand new AD, you know, maybe that uh, intern like you were a few years ago on their very first job, but I'm only going to let you put three things in their toolbox what three items are going to go in Emily Barkley's athletic director toolbox? Okay. Number one, I think you need to build relationships with people. Um, I think you do that by, um, which kind of brings up my second, by being visible. Um, you build that trust with the parents when you're there supporting their kid. Um, you build that, that trust, that relationship with your coaches when you're there. Um, and you, um, can do that obviously with the student athletes. I remember as, as a young eighth grader playing basketball and our athletic director was sitting there watching me play. And I thought, you know, oh my gosh, he's coming to a girls basketball game, you know, for a 14 year old eighth grade. And just, I felt that support at that time. And I think that's really what drew me into it. So, um, you know, the first two things, building those relationships and being visible, um, which I think go, go hand in hand, but um, the final thing I would say is you've got to find a balance with your personal life. I, you know, I, I, I touched on it a little bit, um, but you have to be able to, um, you know, take a moment for yourself um, from time to time, because this job can be all consuming. It, you can take a lot of phone calls at night and you can take those on the weekend. But if you want to do this for a long time, you've got to find a way to balance that um, and take a little bit of time for yourself. Uh, where, wherever that might be, um, to allow that, to, to allow your energy level to stay at what it is. And, and I'm very, very fortunate to have a, a close knit family that helps me raise my daughter when my husband's out on the road and I'm, I'm doing things. Um, and so I think, I think those three are, are, um, paramount to being a successful athletic director. Oh, great, great advice. Uh, you know, the idea of being present there, um, I've been the athletic director in, in the last 20 years here in Florida. I was the AD at three different schools. And at two of those schools, 
um, I would show up at a tennis match or a swim meet and the, the parents and the kids would say, geez, we've never had an athletic director right. you know, come to our events. Uh, and so I, where else would I be? You know, we, we've got yeah. a home event. And the thing about balance, you know, I, I'm a few years uh, further into uh, you know, my career than you, but I can certainly echo that. And, and my wife's career teacher, career coach, uh, and, you know, she, uh, she certainly understands and appreciates, you know, the life of an AD, doesn't always like it, uh, <laughs> but understands it. And uh, again, our three kids are all grown. Fortunately, they always, they all did sports uh, because they wanted to. But I think looking back, you know, I probably had my AD hat on, um, you know, too much uh, and, and not my dad hat. So uh, again, free advice for, for anyone listening. But uh, Emily, thank you so much for uh, braving the elements and spending some time with us today. Um, really enjoyed visiting with you. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, to our listeners, uh, remember the Zoom recordings of these podcasts are being uploaded to the FIAAA uh, Educational Athletic Director YouTube channel. And uh, until next time, thanks for uh, listening. Come back again for another episode of the Educational AD.